Hi guys, I'm Rachel. And I'm Jess, and this is Mothering On My Own podcast. Each episode, we'll dive into stories of resilience, triumph, and personal growth shared by women who are mothering on their own. This podcast serves as a reminder that you are not truly alone and there's a community of women who are navigating the highs and lows of this extraordinary journey. Join us as we unpack the many ways of mothering on my own. Welcome back, everyone, to our next episode of Mothering on My Own. This one is going to be so relatable for, I want to say, every single person that's listening because finances are just, oh, it's so stressful, the climate that we're in at the moment. But just in general, having a sole income and trying to do all of the things can honestly feel debilitating at times. So we are chatting with Canna Campbell, a financial planner. She has so many different ways of budgeting and assessing your finances and really getting on top. Hannah was a single mum, so she was faced with that sole income and that struggle that we all are on. She just gives us so many tips and tools and strategies and something that you and I, Rach, we are just not good at budgeting. Um, it's something that we talk about a lot with each other. Yeah, and I think the, the best thing to highlight from that conversation was she already had the financial skills before she separated. And so, you know, we recognise how much leaving can be you don't want to leave because you know you don't have the financial backing, whereas she was incredibly empowered making that decision because mm. she already had those skill sets. And so I think for many of us, if we can learn these tools, if we can take that on, then it's going to give us a lot more, I guess, confidence in that we can do it on our own. And it's funny because you and I talk about finances in a way that it's almost like because we've, and we talk about this in the episode, is that we don't want to get that scarcity type budgeting mindset around money because we feel that it's going to restrict us and maybe not bring in as much money as we'd like. But I just think by chatting with Canna that it's actually the opposite. and It actually makes room for being able to buy those beautiful things that you want, knowing that, you know, you have kind of crossed all the things off that you need, you know, house and bills and whatnot. So there is yeah. some money left over for you to treat yourself. It's really funny. Like I'll buy myself nice things, but I feel guilty about it. And I feel not stressed about it, but if I knew exactly how much I had and I, and I could look at that and go, no, I deserve it. And that's kind of what I took from it for sure. Yeah. Now she has a challenge in February. Jess and I are going to have a look at it and maybe it's something that we can, in one of our solo episodes, take you through what we discovered through the process um, so that if you do want to join it, we can give you some insights as to what we've uh, changed in our own financial circumstances. I know for me, probably buying Tim Tams from Uber Eats that costs $18 is definitely probably going to be the first thing I have to cut. <laughs> hey, we love Uber. <laughs> I know. And also something when we do talk about this, like you said, it doesn't have to be a February thing. They kind of call it, I think it was fruitful, frugal February, something you can apply for any time of your life to try and get your budgets on track to really thrive and be really confident, like you said, with yourself and looking after your children. So enjoy this episode. I am going to make you pause this episode again. If you haven't already, rate our podcast give us a follow because you just don't know how much that helps us. Again, we put in so much time, energy, love, and 
everything for you guys. So please, if you can pause this episode right now and give us a rating just to help us, you know, do what we can for the potty. And we will just preface as well, as much as this conversation will help you so much with understanding your finances, it is all general in nature. It is not personal. And if you do want to seek out anything that's really tailored to your personal financial goals, you will need to see someone professionally. Thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Welcome to this next episode of Mothering on My Own. Today we have Kanna Campbell, who is a financial planner, best-selling author of Mindful Money and the $1,000 Project, a guest speaker, founder of the financial media platform Sugar Mama TV, but most importantly, a mum of three. And what we love so much about Kanna is she really embraces a holistic approach to finances, empowering individuals to seamlessly incorporate effective steps towards their goals in their daily routine. So we feel very honoured to have you on today. Thanks, Kanna. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. And we'd just love to, I guess, have a chat first. Like who was Kanna before you became a mum? Who was she? Gosh, so I've been a financial planner for over two decades. So, you know, I was just a normal everyday girl um, and, you know, really wanted to become a mother. All my children are actually IVF babies and, um, you know, my girlfriends and and having a really good healthy balance of life. Those were the sort of things that were important to me and they, they still are today. But, you know, motherhood really does change you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. And can we ask, growing up, what was your family ideals around money? Like many of us, our habits and ideals are kind of formed growing up. What was your upbringing like? And is this kind of what formed your ideals around money and finance? Very much so. So both my parents worked for themselves, running their own businesses, very hard workers, worked very long hours as well. And they really respected money. It was, you know, it was a very healthy balance, I'd say. So we'd, we'd go on holidays and, but then we'd also, you know, my parents were quite mindful with money, you know, a little bit frugal, but then also they would allow to have a, you know, a, you know, some, a couple of nice things in place. And of course, I mean, you know, the b- biggest thing I think I got from my childhood is education. My parents were responsible with money in that they regularly invested, but they also invested in my education, which, you know, I'm incredibly grateful for because education just is what breaks poverty. It, it breaks the cycle. It, it it has such a powerful flow on effect. And obviously the more educated we are, the more value we can offer everyone around us and the planet and the universe. So, and I think that's where I've gained my, I guess, respect of money. I, I, like nice things. I might have, I have a, you know, a soft spot for beautiful handbags and that's where, you know, I might reward myself with a beautiful handbag, you know, once in a a while. But for me, I'm very much about, you know, putting money aside, not for a rainy day, but putting aside money away for my future through investing rather than saving. Yep. So I guess, can you talk us through when did you become a single mum? Yes, I became a single mother when my son was about one and a half. And uh, I went through a really hard time with my mental health after I had my son. I had some bad PTSD triggered um, and that really took a massive toll on my mental health. And, uh, you know, things went downhill. But one of the, I guess, the sources of, I guess, being unhappy and, and, you know, I was and this is not about blaming or anything like that, but my relationship was, you know, it was in a, I was in a toxic situation with, with my relationship. And I'm, as I said, I'm not blaming anyone, for anyone. It was toxic, the two of us. So I got out of that as quickly as I possibly could. And from there, my mental health definitely recovered. And, you know, I slowly and steadily got back on my feet again. But I'm so glad that I took my 
financial well-being responsibly starting at a young age because I was able to get out of my marriage very, very quickly. And I was most importantly able to keep a roof over my head for myself and my son, Rocco, and keep us in the same routine and use the, I guess, the financial knowledge and experience that I had to just continue going from strength to strength. But it was definitely a frightening time. I was a shell of a human being. Everyone thought I would fail and thought I was, you know, the crazy one. And, uh, you know, I look back and I'm like, best decision I ever made. Mm. That's so huge because I think so many women, unfortunately, maybe stay longer in relationships because of the financials. They become dependent financially, whereas I think that's such a huge thing to highlight that you had a lot of strength in being able to leave because you actually knew you had that financial well-being to go and move on. So I think that's such an important one to highlight for our listeners. I guess for people that haven't got that, they're dependent on their partners. I mean, what would you say to those women that are going, "Eh, I don't know what to do? The one thing I, well, the first thing I would say is don't stay in a relationship because of financial support. That is the worst thing you could possibly do. You can create your own sense of financial freedom and independence. And I have a couple of podcasts for single parents and it's you know my best advice for single parents financially to you know get back on your feet and stay and st- stay on your feet but mm-hmm. the it comes down to financial education so you know do a budget as to how much money you need to survive as a single parent go get legal advice understand what you're entitled to understand your rights you know seek support whether it be a counselor or, or, or a friend or anyone you can do that because it's it is a long journey it's it's not you know a quick turnaround and, you know, understand your boundaries. And the one thing I will say is, you know, I've got in my book, Mindful Money, I actually have a a very powerful case study of a single mother who I show a strategy of, you know, how we basically get her on her feet again and actually help ensure that she can retire at age 65 on about $90,000 a year using some of her settlement money. And it's really about the quicker you you get onto it, the better. And it's actually amazing what you can do to make up for lost time. And, you know, I had to pay to get out of my marriage, which is kind of odd because it's normally the other way around, but, and I had to take on a huge amount of debt. So whilst, yes, I had the financial experience and knowledge, it was still tough and it was incredibly tight. You know, I don't begrudge that at all because it's the best investment I've ever made. And uh, I invested in my happiness. I invested in my freedom again. And, you know, if you listen to my podcast, I've got quite a few stories of single mums who've actually gone on and built like six-figure share portfolios mm-hmm. and they've hustled hard and they share everything they did and they share their mindset and how they got through tough times. And and the beautiful thing about being a single parent is what you build is purely for you. No one can take that away from you. No one can claim that they did it. They created it. It's something you get to look at and feel proud of and knowing I built this, I did this on my own. And that is something that's very important to help build your self-confidence as you, you know, redesign your future again. Absolutely. And I've listened to a few of those episodes and they really are inspiring. I've gone back to some of the OGs and some of those conversations, like you said, those mums that have gotten really, really tight and have done what they can to now invest and build on their portfolio. It's so inspiring. Are we able to go back a little bit? I have listened to a few of your podcast episodes where you did mention that you had postnatal depression and you kind of took on this minimalist way of living that you said really helped you financially and personally for your headspace. I can just imagine that trying to be, I guess, with your budgets, quite conscious when your mental health is struggling, how did you stay so focused on this? Yes. 
Such a great question. And no one's actually really ever asked me this before, even though I've spoken about this topic a gazillion times. So first of all, minimalism, this was a something I fell into accidentally. And I really believe in like, you know, signs and the universe and, you know, yep. so to raise yourself up to messages and wisdom and guidance. And I just, I just came across the minimalist, you know, and I distinctively remember that, that moment. And I was sitting in my kitchen and I was just I felt horrible. I felt so flat, sad, so sad and so down. And I was surrounded by stuff, you know, that mm. all the gadgets and gizmos that you get told you should have, you know, to be a mother and to be organized and to help run, you know, motherhood smoothly, which doesn't exist at all. Yeah. <laughs> and immediately resonated with me. And I literally started in the kitchen. I, I immediately started like putting things away, listing things on Gumtree, just getting rid of all the clutter. And it was like with each thing I got rid of, a, a, a toxic layer fell apart away from me and I continued on allowed that to go into my wardrobe and uh, into all these different areas of my life including my social activities and and my finances as well and you know I being a minimalist is not about coming from a place of scarcity it's about getting rid of the excess the unnecessary the distractions the temptations anything that's holding you back from living your best life and you make the space for the more wholesome nutritious things that serve you and add value to your life and help you move into a more powerful direction and looking at my you know my budget I'm actually not someone and this really surprises people because I'm actually not someone who's actually frugal yes Mm. I I I have been super frugal in my life when I've had to be I know how to be frugal I've got so many great hacks but I'm actually someone who's more about mindfulness and balance so to help keep my mental health you know as I was going through this you know I allow the things that actually did help me feel good about myself both so going and getting a spray tan for one person that makes them feel beautiful and glowing and fabulous but for me that was something I realized well I like getting a spray tan but I don't value it as much as maybe going and getting a massage or getting my my toenails like polished you know painted and so I just had balance and respect and you know it really gave me this new awareness of like how long it takes to earn money versus how quickly we spend it and you know Sometimes we can just drown ourselves with so many things and purchases and subscriptions and this like, you know, we're on this merry-go-round that's going faster and faster and that lifestyle creep can be very toxic. So it's about creating that awareness and going, hang on, stop, this is too much. What Mm -hmm. actually makes me feel full again and what makes me feel strong and resilient as a mother and, you know, I, my Mental health is something I always had my finger on the pulse with. And, you know, we've just had school holidays and I don't, we don't have any family to support us. And our, our one support network, unfortunately, had to finish up working with us. So, you know, for the last, I think, eight weeks, I've been like almost single parenting because my partner, Tom, works between Australia and Hong Kong. You know, I was like pulling my hair out. So, and I was saying to my partner, like Tom, who's amazing and very much aware of the fragility of my mental health and the importance of being proactive and getting onto it. I was like, if mum's not okay, the family's not okay. Yeah, and you know, you it is. We, as mothers, we tend to push everything down the food chain. Like that, we're the last ones to get to bed. You know, mm-hmm. we're the ones that do most of the heavy lifting around the home. And I, I explained, I'm like, I need to learn how to actually put myself at the top of the list because when I wake up after a good night's sleep, I'm a lot more resilient. I can handle the meltdowns and the tantrums. The laundry piling up doesn't get to me as much, you know. And you know, I just have a, a we have a tend to have a better inner talk to ourselves and nurture that inner child ourselves so that we can then do the best for our children as well. So mm-hmm. I'm very much about honouring the mother as, as the rock and as the foundation of the family's well-being. Yeah. I think what's really interesting, Jess, we did an episode with a coach at the beginning of the year just around goals and visions and values around life. But I think like you just sort of mentioned, maybe something that we don't do as 
often is values around what we value financially. Mm. So, I mean, this is an example that I could maybe give you. We've talked about this before. I pay a lot for rent. You know, back in the day, they used to say 30% of your income should be your rent. Now, I know it's a lot more now for most people. And for me, I put my value on that because I love where I live and I love what that does for me. But there are definitely lots of little areas where I think I'm not as clear on and I'm probably spending a little bit more out of. (laughs) How do you get clear on values with money while also being conscious of, I could probably fight till death for some of the things that I like, but are they really, you know, necessary? (laughs) Okay. So first of all, I'd like to talk about that percentage system, you know, like you should save 10%, invest 5%, uh, you know, your mortgage or rent shouldn't exceed this percent. I think that's the biggest load of crap. I think that's outdated, (laughs) restrictive, and also it actually can hold some people back uh, Mm -hmm. because, you know, you might, that rule, that's like a pigeon one size fits all, which no, everyone's in a unique situation, has different values and also has different challenges. So someone who's like living at home or doesn't doesn't have a mortgage, amazingly, Saying to them that they, you know, that they should not be saving or investing ten percent is wrong. They could actually yeah. potentially be investing thirty percent. And then if you look at like someone like myself, like we're a young family. I've got three children, two dogs. Both Tom and I work for ourselves, and a mortgage. Like that, that most of our income goes towards the mortgage. So mm-hmm. I'm going to feel like a failure if I don't fit into that perfect little forty percent box. Like yeah. what a lot of crap. So. No, everyone's doing the best they can do. What I actually recommend is you build your own percentage systems. So Mm -hmm. the way you do this is, and this hopefully answers your question, is you do a budget. You write down all of your expenses and you stop and look at each one and go and look at the the reality of the cost because sometimes we see this written down, you go, wow, I spend that much on blow dries per month or wow, I spend that much on subscriptions and that much on multiple different gym memberships or if you do someone who does yoga and Pilates and this and that, just that awareness can often make you go, hang on, all right, that actually adds up to be a lot. That could mm. sometimes be the catalyst to go, all right, maybe I don't value as that that as much for maybe I need to look at doing this differently and work is that saying work smarter, not harder. Mm. You know, what could I do that will actually allow me to still have that in my life, but in a more efficient, financially savvy way? You know, one of my non negotiables in my life is a massage. Like I get a, a massage once a month. Now, what I do to help make sure I can afford that is I get the early bird special and it's about 30 or 40% cheaper than the, what the normal rate is because I go there early in the morning and that's how I'm able to afford it and I love it. And I, It recharges my battery, I sleep well at night, I use that time to maybe do a meditation as well or do some visualization, some affirmation work and uh, it, it's, I walk out like ready to roll and I'm then more focused at work so it, it almost makes me money, that investment. So that awareness is really important. And the other thing is to help give you that motivation. If you're looking at this going, well, I don't want to cut anything out. It's time to look at goals. What financial goals do you have in your life? Because sometimes when you come up with a really powerful goal that you can truly connect to with your heart, suddenly you've got a new sense of perspective and you go, you know what? I want to save up a deposit or I want to start investing. Actually, I the old me loved getting a massage every month or a spray tan every month or my nails done every week. The new me actually would like to achieve this goal and like to achieve this goal as, as quickly as possible. So perhaps I'm going to get my toes painted once a month and I'll learn how to do my nails myself or perhaps I will, you know, just do get a spray tan for special occasions and I'll learn how to do my own spray tan at home and even invest in a spray tan machine. Like be, like be creative, like don't have to give everything up, but you just need to have a better, more mindful balance, you know, as to ways to, to look at your saving money. 
And something that Rach and I talk about a lot is we, well, personally me and we, we still have this mindset together, but didn't grow up with too much. So now I've almost got this, don't put too much fixation on money. Try not to focus on it too much so that you're not holding on to it with dear life. How can you talk to that in a way of getting to your financial goals, but not putting too much, I guess, scarcity around it? Okay. So the way to move away from scarcity is to actually focus on what you've got. It's what we appreciate appreciates. And, you know, money is like a butterfly. If you try and chase that butterfly, you're going to frighten it away. If you learn to sit with around butterflies and, and, and learn to be calm and learn to attract those butterflies, they'll come to you and fly around you and maybe even land on you. <laughs> so you've got to be kind to yourself, know that you're doing the best you, you can do. And what you're going through right now is not forever. Things do get easier. Things do change. Things do naturally evolve. That's, that's life. That's the gestation period. But you've got to really focus on coming from a place of gratitude. So you go, I'm so grateful that I have some savings and I would love some more savings so that that feels differently in your body than going, I need more savings. I want more savings. Because when we use the word need and want, they're words that come from scarcity mm -hmm. and they almost make us feel they're very, I guess, disheartening words. Because when we say I need or I want, that's basically saying I don't have. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't make us feel good. But if we say I would love more money in my savings account, I would love more money, you know, put towards a deposit. It's basically saying I'm so grateful for what I've got. I would welcome with open arms, a bigger deposit, a, you know, a, a larger bank balance, more money to invest, more money to pay off debt. It's it's a very different energy in your body in the way it sits and feels. Yes. So that like coming from a place of, of, of gratitude. And then the other thing I would say is really it's tapping into your why. Why is that goal so important to you? What does that goal represent? Like we get, everyone can get caught up in these like herd mentality, society goals, like we're told we should go and buy a house or we should own property. Mm -hmm. I don't actually agree with that at all. I mean, and I have worked with lots of people who are like, can I, I everyone's telling me I should go and buy a place, but I actually find the thought of it really restrictive and, and, and makes me feel very weighed down. And I'm like, great. Like, that's awesome that you know that. Let's mm -hmm. go find a better goal for you. That's more about you. And from that, well, you know, that person will say, well, actually, I really love the idea of being able to make sure I can retire at like 50 and I want to be working until I'm 65. Can we do something around that? And I'm like, great. All right. Like, let's maybe look at building up an investment portfolio and start growing, building you some passive income so that when you hit 50, you know, your portfolio makes you $100,000 a year or whatever that, you know, the figure may be. So, you know, and go into the why. What does that represent? Well, for that person, it represents freedom. It represents choice. It represents flexibility. It means that they can, you know, live wherever they want, work wherever they want, choose to the hours and the conditions they work in and, and have that flexibility as to how they want to use their money. So, you know, I have a whole program, an online course that you can do with me about this. And it's about your money mindset and, you know, making sure that you show up for your goals every day with the right attitude mm -hmm. and, you know, you don't let fear hold you back. Yeah. I'm super curious because you just sort of touched on that with your butterflies analogy around energetics in money and Jess and I were laughing yesterday that we are very like neither of us have budgets we I know like if I increased my income by 50% tomorrow it would fly my money would fly out the door all the same I recognize that but I also still want to have a mindset that I believe money can come and go easily and I guess how do you balance between being like yes money will come and go but also have structure yeah. do you know what I mean 
Yep. No, I know exactly what you mean. It's the lifestyle creep. And what it is is about proactively taking control with balance and with goals. So yep. I guarantee you if, if you if we sat down together and did some brainstorming as to what's important to you and we just created a really simple goal, just one, a short-term mm-hmm. one, and that might be something like saving up for a holiday to Europe or, you know, starting up a share portfolio for your child or, you know, something that just made you come alive. You would actually want to go do a budget. Yeah. You because then you'd be like, well, I want to do this. This goal sounds really cool. Like this sounds amazing. I want this. How can we make this happen? Okay, well, all right, let's look at where we can how can we set up a regular savings plan or you know, all right, how much can we afford to do this? Okay, if we could afford to do this much, it's gonna take you this long. You might go, Well, okay, I want to do it faster. Okay. All right, let's go back to the budget and see, well, okay, what lifestyle creep has happened here and which ones do you value and are non-negotiables and which ones do you have perhaps you've outgrown and or ones that you know that you can actually do yourself to save money and then you know we go okay great let's we've freed up a hundred dollars per month let's put that towards a regular savings plan or a regular investment plan or whatever the goal is and we what we've done there is just done a bit of a detox of your finances we've gotten rid of the wastage and we've turned the wastage into something's going to help build financial well-being for yourself and improve your and the thing about it is it's stuff that benefits kick in quickly. The moment someone starts on their financial journey and made that serious decision with themselves, it's that point moment changes because all of a sudden you're like, I'm doing this. I'm taking this seriously mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm going to make it happen. And progress fuels success. So you see $100 come off your credit card and you stop and take a moment and go, okay, I, I, that's coming down. I'm going to do that again. It becomes addictive and you, or you go, okay, well, I bought my first parcel of shares for, you know, say a thousand dollars. You go, wow, I've never done this before in my life. And now I'm actually, you can say I'm an investor. I'm a shareholder. I mm. want to do it again. And it has this amazing compounding effect. And like, as a single mother, I started this thing called a thousand dollar project. And that is today a $270,000 diversified share portfolio. And I've literally hustled $1,000 at a time. There is a small component, which is a margin loan of about $42,000, which is slowly coming down. But that's literally $1,000 at a time. And I've reinvested the dividends. And what I do is I take the equivalent of the dividends that were reinvested in and I donate it to World Vision every year. Yes, I was listening to an episode you did recently on this. For those that may not, and this was just answered our next question, for those that may not know what the $1,000 project is and even what dividends are and investing in shares, do you mind breaking that down a little bit? Of course. Right? So shares are basically you just own a share of a business. So, you know, just like you'd own a, a investment property, instead of own, owning that property, you own part of that business. And as being a part owner of that business, you're entitled to the growth of the business and you're entitled to some of the profits. So my business, XYZ, makes $100 in profit and my shares are trading at $1. Now, you know, the business is doing very well, selling clothes, for example, and the, you know, the value of the business goes up. It's now worth, you know, $1.10. I've got more profits, so I'll pay out, you know, my profit of say 10 cents. I'll give you a five cent dividend and then I'll put the other five cents back into the business to take on more stuff and to do more marketing and to expand my product range. And then the bits, and it's not as like, doesn't, it's not as smooth as this in the share market, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. this concept is exactly the same. But then, you know, my, now the business is worth a dollar twenty. And I'm paying you a dividend. And again, it's now, uh, you know, a 5% dividend on $1.20. So I'm now giving you a $0.06 dividend. So my dividends are going up each year. And, you know, these get paid to you twice a year as cash, or you can have them put back into the business to help buy more shares in that company. And it's a a very powerful way of building wealth organically over the long run. And 
the $1,000 project, do you mind sharing if someone, and there's so many resources on your website, which we'll link in our show notes if anyone is interested, what made you come up with that idea? Well, when I was a single mother, I was, as I said, I had to pay to get out of my marriage and I was on such a tight budget. Like there was, it was, I had budgeted like not to the dollar, but probably it was $10. And I had previously, you know, being a financial planner, I'd always had some investments going, like a regular investment plan, buying shares, you know, a, a building my wealth. But I couldn't afford to do that anymore. It had to stop because there was no way I was going to be able to, you know, keep food on the table. So I felt a little bit sad about that. And, and, and as I was going through my mental health journey, I was like, okay, I really want to start investing again because that made me feel good about myself. Because for me, that represents stability and security and independence. It's just a big driver for me. And particularly back then when I was a single mother. And I um, was like, okay, well, how can I find a way in my life to, to, to actually start investing again? And so I was like, well, why don't I look at ways to hustle money, you know, to find a way of doing little extra things in my life here and there. And the moment I have a thousand dollars, I'll just go and buy stuff. I'll just go buy some shares with it. So I started up a whole new brand new portfolio and, and made it so my community, community could watch and join in as well. You know, I did things like sold things on Gumtree and eBay and Facebook marketplace. I did market research. I did taste testing. I did like everything you could possibly imagine to save money and it just built the momentum mm -hmm. and uh you know I started that eight years ago and and for the last four years I have I wouldn't say I've dropped the ball but it's just kind of been sitting there I haven't been adding as much as I used to but um and that's because I had two more children and we've moved house I think three times since then so it's I will be getting back onto it my goal is to make that a million dollar share portfolio by really you combining hard work with stepping up to the plate and intelligent, wise investing, financial literacy. Yeah, yeah. So when you hit that $1,000, you thought, yep, I'll take that $1,000. Did you then start again with that? Yes, that, yeah. yeah. So the moment I had $1,000, I immediately bought some shares and very boring stuff like, uh, you know, listed investment companies and ETFs where the money is immediately diversified. So I wasn't having to like stress about, well, if I buy company ABC or XYZ or, you know, it, it's a listed investment company or an ETF. It's basically you're buying that parcel of a diversified investment portfolio for you and shares and, and this type of investing, you've got to do a risk profile beforehand. And of course, you always yeah. get advice, you know, around it. And my book, both my books, Mindful Money and a Thousand Dollar Project give you a, a lot of information to get started. But Yes, I just literally, the moment I had $1,000, invested it, and then I'd start again from ground zero, focus on, okay, well, how am I going to come up with my next $1,000? And there were times where I'd do it really quickly, and it would happen, and then there were times where it would take forever. So mm -hmm. I just I, I just put my head down, bum up, and got it, and just rinse and repeat. So yeah. I got to stage where I wasn't even thinking about it. I was just doing it, and it just built momentum. And then, you know, of course, you've got long-term capital growth, and dividends, re being reinvested, so that also really helped. But, yeah, I just kept going and there are lots of single mums doing the thousand dollar project too and they're using it to help pay for their children's education in, over time with the dividends to help prepare them for a strong and stable retirement as well yes yeah so one of my I guess excuses for cha being challenged and Jess we spoke about this earlier we're both self-employed we both have money sort of coming in and out I've often been like you know if I just got paid that one day every month I knew exactly what was coming in I could do that easily there's probably lots of single mums in our audience that maybe rely on child support and that doesn't come in regularly. If you don't have that sort of regular stock standard income, are there any strategies that, that we could use that could help give us a bit more stability? 
So I'm exactly the same as you. I'm self-employed. You know, I get paid in about seven different ways. It's yeah. and, and in like, you know, no two months are the same for me and my income. So I have this thing called the drip feed technique. And it's basically where you create a salary for yourself within your business. So it's, I can't remember what page it is of Mindful Money, but and you can grab Mindful Money at the library. But I explain that there. And I even have videos on YouTube explaining this as well. But you can, you basically collect your, the money during the month and you you pay yourself a salary each month. And that's actually what I do myself. Mm-hmm. So even though I get paid all these various different ways sometimes, the first of every month is my payday. And it is actually very, very easy to set up. And I actually have a, a budget and cash flow academy, which is an online program that everyone can do to actually learn how to do a budget and learn how to set goals, understand your priorities, identify ways to save money. But also if for people who are self-employed, can use this drip feed technique. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's just so valuable. I'm exactly the same that you feel like then you might be, I guess, yes, not well, struggling one one month or struggling one week, but I guess always having that goal that you can you're trying to work towards is is what's gonna, I guess, keep you in in good stead. Yeah. And look, I was listening to a podcast last night, falling asleep. And, you know, if we just continuously focus on the problem, the problem is just going to be magnified and we're going to be staying in this place of being a victim in this, in, in this like scarcity, in this sense of crisis and panic. Mm-hmm. When you start to use your mindset to focus on what you want, your brain starts to rewire itself to be able to identify ideas and opportunities to actually create what you're focused on. Yes. I was just going to ask, when you met your partner, Tom, was he similar in his mindset around money or is this, are these conversations? Cause I feel like money can be a big, well, can be sometimes the catalyst of relationships breaking down, going into your new relationship. Did you feel quite empowered the position that you were in financially? And then how did you kind of, I guess, bring that into this relationship? Yes. Yeah, so, um, Tom and I, you know, by the time I met Tom, I was well and truly on my own two feet. And so then that was almost a curse because I was very independent and stubborn yeah. and headstrong. He obviously, he's a physio, so he didn't have the same natural financial literacy that I had. But he, the one thing we did have in common was we both respected how hard it is, how money is not to be disrespected. So we were, we respected hard work. We respected the flow of money and we respected uh, the importance of balance. But we did, we had different financial situations. So it, it was a slow and steady like space to come together, but it really was about having boundaries, communication, transparency, and respect. And now today, like we've been together, uh, gosh, seven years, I think. And oh, but maybe I've got an anniversary coming up. I need to do it at seven or eight. Um, yeah. It's been a bit of a blur the last four and a half. You know, we... And he was very much, okay, no, if we're a family, we do family, we do this together as a team. So, you know, we had to come to an agreement where what was his is his, what's mine is mine. Um, and then going forward from this point forward, everything's combined. We're a team. And uh, like Tom and I don't have a perfect relationship. There's, there is no perfect relationship. We do argue, just us, our neighbors, because we yell <laughs> passionately. <laughs> but, um, but we don't actually ever argue about money because we have common goals together. We both want our mortgage paid off. We both want to make sure that we can retire, not at age 65, earlier. We respect how hard each other are working. And, you know, I he's working physically every day and he does a lot of traveling for work. And then I'm juggling the kids and, and as unpaid work, but that's mm-hmm. still work. 
And, you know, he really respects, okay, well, to replace me, we'd have to get a nanny and a cleaner and a dog walker and someone to come and do the ironing. So I am contributing financially because we're not having to pay for that. So, you know, he, we, we both respect that role. And it, it definitely at times I feel a bit, you know, frustrated or tired or it's Groundhog Day and I, but I make sure I communicate that so I can say, look, I need to be appreciated in this, in this equation as well as obviously working and earning a living and contributing financially. So it, it's just got to be a space where you, you're, list, you're a really good listener, but also you're a really good communicator and it takes practice. And, you know, I have a podcast actually where I share the breakdown of exactly how we do money, you know, from budgeting for expenses, childcare, food, holidays, you know, how I can go buy a pair of shoes and Tom can go, you know, buy a round of drinks at the pub. Like it's, I'm very much an open book with all of my followers about how I do this because there's no, there's no rule book. There's no school. Like, you know, this is a hard space to figure it out. So by me sharing what I find works, I think it's, it's helpful. Yes, absolutely. So we're already a little bit into February, but you are doing something on your platform called Frugal February. Can you give us a little bit of a gist? Are we too late to jump into it now? I think, Jess, maybe you and I should do a solo app of us putting into practice some of this stuff. Yes. I think so it's, it, it's actually called Frugal, Frugal February because talking about scarcity and abundance, is, I've been doing this, I think, seven or eight years in a row. It's basically where I'm the world's biggest tight ass for like the month of February. But the problem is, is last year, the more frugal I tried to be, the more drama I was attracting. So we had basically the worst financial month of my life. Like oh. we, ha- we had black mold discovered in our house that the insurance company initially said, yes, that we'll take that as a claim then revoked after six months so and that was like this i won't say the figure of what it costs because i told me i got to the point where we were like stop adding up it's so upsetting um but i had scaffolding from the inside my house from the floor to the ceiling roof of the house like that's how bad it was like so um and then both we have two labradors they both separately got sick separately fridge and freezer broke and our garage door broke like and it wasn't just a, a 200 dollars garage door break it was a motor replace yeah broke. so you know, and it was you know it so wiped out all our emergency money so what i and i had all these people messaging me saying you've outgrown frugal february you the word frugal you're actually attracting more of it which is is in alignment to my philosophy anyway so but then this year when i said i'm going to change the name everyone no i love frugal february so i call it fruitful February, the frugal is silent for me, which sounds a bit crazy, but um, it's fruitful February. And it's um, so basically what it is, is for the month of February, you, it's about it coming actually from a place of abundance and prosperity, but looking, doing a budget and looking at, okay, how can I do this smarter? So mm-hmm. for example, I called up Foxtel and I said, I'm, you know, we're on a budget. I've been with Foxtel for so many years. I'm thinking of canceling. Is there something you can do? And literally within minutes I had, you know, my bill went down you know, calling up your bank and negotiating a better deal. I'm calling my home and contents insurance provider and I'll give them an opportunity to, to bring it down, but otherwise I'm going to go shop around. Mm-hmm. And the thing is loyalty tax is expensive. So, you know, and I, I my whole community on Instagram are doing this and one woman saved $700 a year on her home and contents insurance by calling up her provider and saying, this isn't good enough. You know, calling up your energy provider. I haven't called my energy provider up yet. I'm about actually doing it today. But when I did this last year, I saved $45 per month. They put me on a cheaper plan. So my gas bill went down about $15 a month and my energy bill, I think, went down about $30 per month. But the thing with this is, and this is the catch, because you know you mentioned 
Rachel, about the lifestyle creep and the money yeah. going elsewhere. You, what you would then do is that $45 per month, I increased our mortgage repayments by $45 mm-hmm. because yeah, otherwise yeah. that money will be spent somewhere else without me even realizing. And yeah. this is probably one of the reasons, problems with the cashless society is money evaporates. Yeah, 100%. Uh, like so, and I, I do love the cashless efficiency because it's cleaner, it's, it is more efficient, it also stops uh, you know, tax evasion as much. So I, I, I think it's far more ethical, but it also is quite dangerous at the same time. So by changing our mortgage repayments, like, and so that it's automatically increased by $45, immediately that stopped that lifestyle creep. Yeah. Oh, and I even think just the simple like tapping of the card, I notice it's not, Ooh. I don't even recognize I'm doing anything. So it's mm. like it takes away the emotional process of going, oh, do I have the cash for this? It's just like, oh, whatever, we'll deal with it yeah. later. Exactly, exactly. And looking at like, you know, just because you might say find $100 per month in your budget savings, you don't necessarily have to put that full $100 towards a goal. You might go, okay, well, we're on a really tight budget. We need some breathing space. It's great we found this money, but let's increase our savings plan by $50 per month and we'll allow $50 per month for something that's important for us as a couple or as an individual or as a, you know, as a single mother you know, or a family. Like, so it's it, by being aware of what you just created and then going, all right, proactively how are we going to make this work for us and then deciding the split that way yeah I actually love that you just said that you just put it onto your mortgage because I think for me I'm kind of like oh can I be bothered calling to save $50 or whatever but I think if you put it that way and go like you don't you're not worrying about getting that extra money in your pocket it's actually going off to something else well this is the beauty behind it being fruitful because the concept of you know you're planting seeds to grow like fruit trees or fruit vines that are going to provide for you long-term. So mm-hmm. that $10 that I saved on Foxtel, for example, that's not, that's $120 a year. And then over the course of, you know, 10 years, that's $1,200, you know? So, and that's just one person I called. I've got like five or six people to call today. Yeah. So, um, you know, those are lifelong savings potentially. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, I love that. I'm, I'm inspired. I knew I'd get inspired after this chat to start, <laughs> to start going through my budgets. Just quickly, you mentioned it into your, um, what do you call your, is it called your safety net account? The emergency money. Emergency money for women that might be thinking, oh, I'd like to look at the $1,000 project or and start maybe investing. Would you suggest that you create an emergency fund before you start doing that? Absolutely. 100%. That's so incredibly important. Have emergency money before you start investing. Obviously, I don't know what people are investing in and I'm giving advice here, but I will say this. Investing for most, like especially shares, it's a long-term investment, a minimum 10 years. So, you know, you have to think, okay, that $1,000 of shares, I don't need that $1,000 shares for $1,000 for the next 10 years or longer. I'm using that money to build up my financial freedom and independence for the long run. So, you need to have separate money set aside and there is no magical formula as to how much emergency money you should have. Everyone is different. If someone tells you, oh, it's three months of salary, ask them, is it before tax or after tax? Because mm. they probably can't answer that. For us, we're self-employed and you guys are self-employed. So I would say three months would not be enough. Like mm. I have three children and I work for myself. So I have no annual leave. I have no sick leave. Yeah. So immediately there, that's a risk. So that means I need probably more. At three children, as I said, I've got, you know, various other responsibilities. Um, y- yes, I might have insurance, but I have excesses of insurance. So, if, you know, so for me, I have to look at the, what I've got going on and look at the cost of those things and then look at what happens if three things happen at the same time. And what's the cost of that? And then go north of that bigger. 
So for me, frugal February wiped out all of our emergency money. And we had, and I'm happy to display, share this, we had $70,000 as emergency money, mm-hmm. which is, I thought as a financial planner with 20 years experience, that was enough. Yeah. I was wrong. We needed actually in excess of a hundred and that's what we're sort of re- slowly rebuilding back up to. And, you know, we keep that money in our, in our redraw account so that we're saving money on a home loan in the meantime, because that's a very efficient strategy, but you've got to be real. And I mean, look what happened to me in three, in three February. Oh, my website also got hacked. Oh gosh. Yeah. Really badly. Um, so you just, you've got to look at the reality of life. Things, you know, things happen and this is not about manifesting these things, but it's about being intelligent and being wise and going, okay, well, what happened if I lost my job? How many months would it take me to find a new job that paid a similar salary or, okay, but hang on, I have a, I've got about two weeks of annual leave. So that would be paid out. So, okay. All right. That would come off. And then you go, okay, well, I actually have a, a, a parent that's actually elderly and they live in another state. So if they were to get sick, I'd have to take three weeks off work and I'd have to fly there and pay for accommodation and he's spending money and I might need someone to help look after my child or I might have to take my child with me. So I'd still have to pay childcare or daycare or, you know, how would that look? These are the numbers people need to be going into to help work out how much emergency money and emergency money always stays in cash. Don't don't invest that money Mm -hmm. because that's the volatility is too risky in the short term. Yeah. Oh, I feel like we could ask you a million questions and deep dive into our personal financial woes, but I would love to hear from someone like you looking down the next 12 months, what are your financial goals, whether that be personal as well, but also within your business? Personally, um, so per- I'll be personal ones first because they always <laughs> exciting. So we are, fingers crossed, going to go to a wedding in Italy um, in July, so I used to be able to speak Italian, so I really want to try and get back into my Italian. That's one of my personal goals. The other goal I really want to do is try and get back with some TLC for me. So I, towards the end of 2023, I had a, it was a really big year for everyone. It was a tough year. And I felt towards the end of the year, I just felt a bit blah. So I'm trying to really prioritize looking after myself in a financially friendly way. So, you know, I've, yesterday I bought the eyebrow and eyelash tint you know so before I go to bed I just want to do one simple thing for myself before I go to bed to make myself feel a little bit prettier and more feminine without sounding too surface level materialistic Um, because I just I felt like I was just by the end of the year I was just living in jeans and a t-shirt I just kind of lost touch with my feminine side so so that's my personal financial is is our mortgage we moved house we've moved house three times in the last four years and we really want to make some inroads with our mortgage you know the bank put us on a 30-year term and there is no way in hell I'm taking 30 years to pay off the home. Yeah. So we you know, we really focused on just making some inroads. And the, the sooner you get onto your mortgage and make those extra payments, the better, because that's where you have the biggest impact on saving time and money. And then investing, you know, building up that passive income. You know, I have, we have family goals financially and just working on those financial freedom ones. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that insight. I really commend everyone to go and check out kind of stuff because I think could just be in those small, you know, little small things that can really change your life in the long run. Yeah. And the, thank you. And it does. It's amazing. You just need to get started. But once yeah. you start, the, the shifts and the breakthroughs and your whole energy really changes. Oh, thank you, Kenna. Thank you for your time. We appreciate you so much. My pleasure. Anytime. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mothering on My Own. If you'd like to connect with us further, please follow our Instagram at motheringonmyown.podcast. Thank you.